This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I just want to talk to you a little bit this morning and share with you um, some stuff that's on my heart. and I think it might resonate with some of you. It's been the last couple of months probably for me has been a very unsettling time. Um, and a big reason for that is because I kind of felt as though my life was stuck in suspension. It's kind of like I felt as though I went somewhere with God and I got somewhere with God and then it kind of got to this point and then it, it, it's, it's here and it's doing its thing and it's alive and it's, it's, it's moving and it's uh, treading water, but it's not going anywhere. I don't like that feeling. I don't like that feeling for a whole bunch of reasons. One of them is probably because part of my makeup is not a very patient person. It's like, what are we doing? Where are we going? What's happening? And that extends to my relationship with God as well. I don't like sitting in a place where it's like, okay, there is more to this than, than where we are right at the moment. But the problem with it is, is that it's, I can't take it upon myself to just run forward and do some stuff because I'll miss him. And so in this space, there comes a responsibility to be able to sit and say, Father, what do you want to do here? Because I need your direction to show us where we're going and, and what the future looks like. It becomes important because part of my responsibility is what's happening here. And so direction for me is also direction for what God is wanting to do at Living Faith. And so the discussion this morning is not just one that's personal. It's also one which I think is going to touch and affect you and hopefully will shed some light as to where I believe God wants us to go. I always try and use illustrations. Sometimes they're silly. But the reason that I do is because I think what it does do is it takes a spiritual concept and it brings it into a context that we can recognize. one thing about the early church. We don't always recognize this, and sometimes we don't think about it, but you do realize that the early church never had the Bible. It wasn't written yet. The early church only had the Holy Spirit. That's all they had. And yet if you have a look at the early church and you have a look at the impact of the early church, it was profound. If there's one thing that the church is looking for right now, it's going back to the book of Acts. How do we get back to the things that we believe, the things that that define our Christianity? How do they become something which becomes an everyday experience and an encounter? How do I take my life and move my life forward? I have to speak about my life because the thing about it is, if you're a born-again believer, the very fabric of your life is him. I can't sit and say I'm disgruntled in my life, but it's not my Christianity. If you're disgruntled and upset in your life, it's probably because the very fiber of your life, there is something unsettling within that. You can't separate how I live and who I am from who he is. He is your life. So if you find yourself in a place right at the moment where you feel a little bit disgruntled and you feel as though, you know what, there is more to this. I'm a little bit hungry for something different then you could be the person that I'm speaking to this morning. I realized I've never bought a new car. 
I've never bought a new car. Every car I've ever bought is a second-hand car. Now, you're wondering what on earth I'm talking about. Just, just stick with me. It's because it's my analogy. But if you want to buy a car, what you do is you decide, okay, fine, I think I like one of these cars. And you go into that dealership, and you know what they have in the dealership? The car. There, right right in, in the dealership, right on the floor in front of you, is the car. And what do they say? They say, come in, have a look at the car. Check it out. And if they're a good salesman, you know what they do? They open the door and they say, get inside. Feel those leather seats. Isn't it comfortable? Isn't it cushy? Do you know what it's got? It's got seat warmers. It's got air conditioning that works overtime. It's got this special GPS thing. It'll take you exactly where you need to go. You know what this car's so advanced and it's so sophisticated? You really don't even really need to drive it. It'll take care of itself. <laughs> what does he do? You see, the thing is, if you have an idea in your head as to the car that you want, and you go in and you see that car, right in front of you, you have a visual and you have an image of what that car is all about. And everybody's car is going to be different. Because every car is created for a purpose. Some people want to get a truck because I want to carry stuff. Other people are looking for a family vehicle, something big enough to put me and the husband and the kids and the dog and the luggage and everything else in it. Some people are looking for, I want something which is a sporty car. I want it to get me around and I'm looking for speed. Other people are looking for safety. I want something, I want to know that everything that's in there is surrounded by heavy metal and I'm never going to get taken care of. Everybody has something different. But when you sit in that car, you begin to identify why it was created. Not only why it was created and what it was made for, but as you begin to look at it, what ends up happening is you begin to identify that every little aspect that's been put onto that that car has been put on there with purpose. It's nothing's accidental. You know what this is for. So when you get into a rainstorm, you turn these on and the windshield wipers work. And what ends up happening is you can drive in the rain. Do you know what this is? This is a heater. So when it's 13 degrees outside, you can turn this on and you can get into the comfort and the luxury of your car. Do you know what this is? This is a GPS. So even if you're out in the middle of nowhere and you have no map and you have no telephone, you put it on there and it'll take you to where you... Every single thing in the car has a purpose. In our relationship with God, there are two things that are very important to us. Number one is the word, and number two is the spirit. The word is important, but the spirit is important. The Holy Spirit with us is the living word with us. You see, back in time, it was God the Father who was up in heaven. He was up there. The big kahuna. And then he sent Jesus down. God made flesh who lived amongst us. We're comfortable with God the Father because we know who he is and what he's about. We're comfortable with Jesus because he's the son and we have history and we have a book written about him. So we kind of get Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is God in us. It becomes a little bit awkward in some ways because sometimes for some people the whole idea of the Holy Spirit's a little bit nebulous and it's a little bit weird. And I don't know how to define him and who he is and what he's all about. And yet he's an integral part of the Godhead. 
He is the Godhead. He is God with you. So in our walk with God, there are two aspects that are really important. We have the written word and we have the living word on the inside of us. And both of those things have a place in our life. You see, the word is going to introduce you to purpose. The word is going to introduce you to God's design for your life. As you begin to get into the word, what ends up happening is we become creatures who live by faith. God's not going to give something to you on the outside here without doing it on the inside first. So as we get into relationship with God, what he does is he uses the word and he takes the word and he begins to build on the inside of us a car. It gives us a concept of what God is all about. We can see it on the inside of who we are. And when we can see what God's design is and what God's plan is for our life, it begins to take and get established on the inside of us. And as we begin to explore that car in a little bit of detail, you're going to find that every aspect of that car was being put on there for purpose. When the God's design for our life and that reality starts to take form on the inside of us, and we spend time meditating on that, we move to a place where we begin to understand what our purpose is in life. Because we're no longer affected and driven by what's happening in our environment, all of a sudden I'm established in a new reality. And my role and my purpose is to take what that reality is and redefine my world so that it begins to change and conform to the truth that's on the inside of me. He introduces me, the word introduces me to the realm of God. It gives me the ability to be able to see it in a spiritual context. I know what it looks like. But because I know what it looks like, it also introduces me to individual purpose as to what the kingdom is all about. Because God has a purpose and a plan for your physical being, for your mental health, for your marriage, for your raising kids, for why you go out, for your purpose for being. He has a plan for all of those things. None of those things are inconsequential or accidental. So he has a plan for all of those things. When we discover who we are as a result of what God has established in us. And we discover what we're here to do. We establish our lives in a place of security. We build our house on the rock. If there's one thing that Christians can offer the world right at the moment, it is the benefit of security. If there's one thing that the world doesn't know right at the moment is what is right and what is wrong. What should I be doing? What shouldn't I be doing? It's an interesting thing. But even as we send our kids to school, the stuff that they come home with, it's crazy. And there are parents who are sitting saying, am I a good parent by doing this? Am I a good parent by indulging that? They don't know what they should or shouldn't be doing. And we have a generation being raised right at the moment who have no concept of what truth is. It's all over the place. And because truth is all over the place, they don't know who they are. We find these truths to be self-evident. Self-evident. That's not scripture, by the way. The point that I'm making is this. We've lost self-evidence. Some things are self-evident. It's pretty obvious what it should be. But there is so much chaos in the world that there are too many people who are not established on something solid. I don't know who I am and I don't know why I'm here. You can thank God for the rock 
Because when you're established on the rock, everything can happen around you and points of views and opinions can whirl around you, but you can stand there secure and say, you know what, you can choose whatever you want to choose. I know who I am and I know why I'm here and I'm okay with that. The thing about a car is this. You can get into that shop and you can have a look at it and you can really enjoy what you see. The thing about it is everything that you see is great. What you see is wonderful. But you know what? Nothing works without gas. You can get in. Turn on the windscreen wipers. They don't work. Turn on the radio. It doesn't work. Turn on the seat heaters, it doesn't work. Try and put your head on your foot on the pedal and see if you can move forward. Nothing works without gas. Unless you get some gas in the vehicle, you have no power to move it forward. You have all the benefits available to you. You have the full potential available to you, but nothing works without the gas. As Christians, the body of Christ has done a phenomenal job of raising people up so that we know the word. We have probably the most educated generation of Christians ever. And if they're not educated, you have plenty of resources to get there. We're sitting there in the shop, in the showroom, looking at this car that's available to us, and we're so excited about it, and we keep talking about it, and we we look forward to it, and we open it, and we show it to people, and we show it off, and we tell them all about the car, but they sit and say, but have you ever driven it? (laughs) Sit in the seat and see how comfortable it is, though. Italian leather. But have you ever driven it? We know all about the car, but we've never driven it. I've got to have the word and I've got to have the spirit. You see, the word will introduce me to my purpose, but the spirit is going to power it. When I get the gas, it's going to power it. The challenge with it is we're celebrating the vehicle and we love the vehicle, but we haven't got into the gas. The funny thing about it is, if you drive a car and it takes gas, have you ever noticed? The thing about driving a vehicle that take, get, takes gas is that you fill it, have to fill it up regularly. You don't drive off the showroom floor and you just keep on going. At some point, you're going to find yourself at the end of the road, at the edge of the road. Everybody's flying by you. What happened? I ran out of gas. Nothing works. There's so many Christians sitting on the side of the road. Because I had an encounter. I had a moment where God touched me. And I loved that. It was good and it was authentic and it was real. The problem with it is I never went back to the gas station. Never went back to the gas station. I still got the car. I'll show you all this about the car. But it just doesn't work. Jesus separated himself regularly because he went off and he spent time with the Father. He lived from that place where he said, I only do what I see the Father do. He got some stuff from the Father that he never got from other places. He got gas from the Father so that I could make the car move. 
It had power to do what it needed to do. There is a simple principle in life. If you have equity in whatever form, it positions you for better living. The more equity you have, the healthier your future is going to look. Equity is the value of an asset that is returned to you when you place a demand on it. Equity is the value of an asset that is returned to you when you place an asset on it, a, 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 a demand on it. Let me give you a simple example. All of us go off to work and we earn money and what we do at the end of the month is we pay our tithes first. That's for a totally separate discussion. We pay our bills, we get whatever we need and whatever's left, we take it and we put it in the bank and because you know what? Because I'm building up a financial nest egg. What I'm doing is I'm investing in equity. I'm putting it in the bank. I'm putting it in a place where it's starting to earn interest and stuff because at some point I'm going to, have, I'm going to come across a situation or a circumstance in my life where I'm going to have to place a demand on that. And I'm going to place a demand on that equity and say, I need some finances to move this forward in my life. You don't want to get to the bank and find out that there's nothing there. I've got no equity. I can't do this. What am I supposed to do? I've got nothing to work with. Do you know what grace is? Grace is divine equity. It's gifted to you. Grace is divine equity that's gifted to you. I don't have what it takes to deal with the situation. You don't have to have equity in yourself because he's provided grace for you. Grace means I've got everything that you need to be able to take you out of that circumstance and situation. You didn't invest in it. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything for it. It was gifted to you because of what Jesus did. It's called grace. Grace is divine equity. No matter where you find yourself today, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what you're confronted with, I'm telling you now, grace has provided equity for you to do some stuff in your life. Do you know what equity you have? You're not so fabulous about God's investment plan. Is it grace? When you invest, they always sit and say to you, you've got to make sure that you diversify your portfolio. Let me tell you, grace is the most diversified portfolio you can imagine. No matter what area of life that you may be looking in, I want you to know something. He puts God equity there. And he's got more equity than you will ever need. We know that equity exists. We know that the equity is there because he provided for us. It's something called grace. He's given me. Everything I need to be able to move my life forward. So how do I begin to shift my life? How do I begin to do something so that I can actually take hold of the equity and use it in a meaningful way? In Matthew chapter 18 verse 3, it says, Unless you become as a little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You know what's so wonderful about children? They're too young to reason. What's wonderful about children is they're too young to reason. So if I have a dream, I can let it come to life. 
You speak to a toddler and he'll tell you, I'm going to the moon. I'm going to be an astronaut. He doesn't realize, you know what? There's a big, big leap between you are where you are right now and you getting to the moon. In him's economy, it's alive on the inside of him. It's so robust on the inside of him. He's like, I live it. I pretend. I play about it. When my friends come over, we pretend that we're walking on the moon and all kinds of stuff because the dream is alive on the inside of him. And he doesn't see any reason why it can't happen. You know what the challenge is with people who become mature? We get too old to dream. We can't dream with God because our life has been tainted by reason. You don't understand. I've got so much experience in my life. Let me tell you what life has taught me. Let me tell you what circumstances have taught me. Let me tell you what I think about things. Let me tell you what environment has taught me about. I, I know all of this stuff. And the problem with it is God says, you know what? I can't do some stuff in your life. I can't use the equity that I have available to you. Because all you want to do is erode it and take it away and sabotage it because of your understanding. Unless you become as little kids. Why is it so important? In, I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5. Yes, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Ow! Do you know what he's saying? He's saying, your understanding is not the root of your success. Don't build it on knowing the word. You've got to build it on the power of the Holy Spirit. What is your faith built on? We want to sit on the showroom floor and you know what we do? We invite people in. Come and look at my car. Come and have a look at it. Look at the trunk. Extra room. Extra space. Check the spare wheel. Have a look. Actually, we've got two spare wheels just in case. And check the back. And, do it. and we, we're showing them all the stuff. And you know what? When we don't really have enough of that, then you know what we do? We get out the, the owner's manual. We're going to study it now. So we start studying our car and studying our car. The car hasn't moved. It's still there. And then I want to get into the mechanics. Do you know why these windshield wipers are extra special? Because you see the mechanism that makes them. We want to get into the Greek and the Hebrew. I have no problem with any of that stuff. But what I'm telling you is this. That your faith is not built in the wisdom of man. But in the power of the spirit. What God is saying is this. There is a place where I'm going to introduce you to what I want you to do in your life. Don't get stuck in reason. Understand you can't bring it to pass. But unless you move to a place where you have relationship and intimacy with him, unless you are prepared to change the way that you work and you operate to become a kingdom citizen, it's difficult for me to walk into that because I know all about it, but it's sitting on the showroom floor. I've never taken it for a test drive. I got no gas. When we become as little kids, what God's saying to us is this. I'm not asking you for you to be naive, 
not asking you to be disconnected from what's happening in your world, but what I am asking for you to do is this. Put significance and waiting over what I say as opposed to the environment in which you find yourself. Where does your waiting lie? You see, when it lies in our understanding, we always want to tell God why it can't be done. We live a life of excuses. And God's saying, yes, it can. Should I tell you something? I've got a universe to prove it. Everything was against me. Nothing there. He can make stuff happen in our life. But he's asking for us to go back to the elementary stages so we begin to understand how I can partner with him and walk it out in my life. Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Say, I'm an all. Okay, if you're an all, he's talking to you. I don't like going places where I don't know where I'm going. You know what I mean? It's like even doing tasks. I don't like doing tasks until I know what the end goal is. Because I don't know if I'm on the right path, if I'm going there, if I'm getting there, how far I have got to go. I don't know what I need to do to get to the end to be like, okay, it's finished. And so God says, if anything, I'm like that as well. So he says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a picture. And I want to speak to you a little bit about what I want to do in your life as a born-again believer. What he's speaking about in this verse is he's giving us a pathway to maturity and growth. There's three steps to it. The first step is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing happens until we encounter grace. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5, 8, says we are born again by grace. By grace. Do you know what that means? It means the Holy Spirit comes in and he says, you know what? Where you are and where you need to go You can't get there by yourself. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. There's nothing you can do that's going to move you from point A to point B. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay hold of divine equity. I'm going to grab hold of an asset that Jesus paid the price for so that what I can do is I can use that and I can pull you out from where you are and I can put you down over here. And when I put you down, you're going to be a different person because firstly, you're going to be forgiven. Secondly, you're going to be cleansed. Thirdly, you're going to be a brand new creation. And fourthly, as a result of that, you're going to feel his love for the first time. As a result of what Jesus did and because of what the Holy Spirit did, we move to a place where I become a new creation. And I enjoy relationship for the first time. I heard about him, but I didn't know him. Suddenly, I get to know him because of grace. Divine equity. Doing something in my life that I couldn't do for myself. He leaves us with a principle. And the principle is this. Understand that as you move forward in your relationship with me, as you journey forward into maturity, the principle remains. Divine grace. Divine equity. 
and the power of the Holy Spirit. Keep those two things going. You see, when we move to that space and we allow grace to touch us and we get changed by grace, what ends up happening is immediately we move to a place where we just feel the weight has been lifted. If you want to see the biggest beaming face, look at the face of a new, uh, new, a born again believer, a newly born again believer. They're the most enthusiastic people in the world. Why? Because what happened as a result of grace is it launched them and catapulted them right into phase two, which they came headfirst into the love of God. The love of God. And suddenly it's like, I feel new. I feel clean. I feel good. I feel like he loves me. It's the most wonderful feeling. The most ecstatic Christians are new Christians. Why? Because they touched grace. They encountered love. And all of a sudden, it was meaningful and tangible to them. Very often they speak about it in terms that almost sounds as though they were baptized in love. I was immersed in the Father's love for me. You see, it's grace that gave me the car. It's his love demonstrated that said everything you need is available to you right now. And as I stand there on the showroom floor, at the end of stage two, he moves the ball to me. And he says, what do you want to do? I took care of stage one because you asked for it. It introduced you to stage two. But now I want to know where you are. You see, never forget that God created us with a free will. Everything that God has is available to everyone. But he doesn't override your will. You are as far in your Christian life as you choose to be. At any point, you can put on the brakes and say, no further, and he'll honor it. We move to an interesting place in that space. And we move to a place of serious discontent. I got the car here. I know he loves me. Grace and love. Grace and love. He's like, what do you want to do? You want to talk about the grace and love? Nothing wrong with it. It's good. You know what he's waiting for? He's waiting for you to sit and say, I don't want to stay in this place anymore. I love the car. I appreciate the car. Thank you as a gesture of your love. But you know what? I want to take it for a ride. How badly do you want it? Matthew, chapter 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In that space, we find ourselves in an interesting place because God says, are you a person defined by hunger and thirst? Are you comfortable where you are? The people who 
are hungry and thirsty are blessed. Because strangely enough, it positions us in a place where God can begin to do something in our lives. When we're hungry and we're thirsty, we move ourselves to a place where God says, okay, now I'm going to move you to a new encounter with me that's going to fill that. But not everybody's in that place. Not everybody is living in that place. Not everybody is hungry for the things of God. I'm happy that I'm born again. I'm happy in the show room and I'm okay. Funny enough, I don't know about you, but I found that the place of hunger and thirst is probably the most uncomfortable place to be. Because you know there's more, but you're not there yet. Hunger and thirst is a tough place to be because you know what? I know there's more to the situation. I know he's made available more to me. What he's looking for is, how hungry are you for it? Grace is essential because grace opens the door. But we build on grace and we move into love. Love is essential because love is the foundation. But you want to move to the communion of the Spirit. You see, phase three is all about the communion of the Spirit. And the communion, the word communion actually in the Greek means koinonia. And you know what it means. In essence, it talks about intimacy, it talks about partnership, and it speaks about responsibility. It's a place of discovering intimacy with him. It's a place of discovering all of a sudden who he is and what he's all about. It's a place of adjusting some of who I am and what I'm about. He doesn't want me to come in with my understanding and my wisdom. He wants me to come in with a disposition and an attitude of humility that says, teach me, Holy Spirit. Teach me to walk with you. Teach me to partner with you. Teach me to move into that space with you. It's a place of surrender. We always go into stuff. I'm at the front of the line thinking we know how to do everything. And sometimes there's a place just to take a step back and say, you know what? I'll put it all up. Holy Spirit, you show me what you want to do and how you want it defined. And I'll work with you. It's a place of redefinition. He doesn't change. The constant in everything is him. But he's looking for some things from me. I don't do it. It's not a works program. It's a relationship program. It's about how desperately do I want him. You see, as we move into phase three and as we move into a place that is defined by intimacy, partnership, and responsibility, what we begin to do is we move into a space where all of a sudden we begin our real spiritual maturity. You see, it's in that space that we get to walk by the Spirit. It's in that space that we begin to move in His power. It's in that space that we really hear His voice. It's in that space that we learn to pray effectively. It's in that space that we end up with the mind of Christ. There's so much more. Oh, this is where our spiritual maturity takes place. This is where our spiritually things happen. How hungry are we for it? Can I just leave you with one point? I'm sorry, I went on. 
that space, you will discover who the Holy Spirit is as a person. He's not an it. He's not a thing. He's not some being charged from above with what he's supposed to do. He's God. And in that space, what he's saying is, who's going to take charge of this partnership? I'm becoming more and more convinced of the need to stop acting off the word and start living out of relationship. You see, when we act off the word, we can do things that often people can't say, that just isn't right. Because scripturally, it's right. The problem is, he never told you to do it. Part of word and faith, and I'm a big proponent of word and faith, but unfortunately part of it is, I think we've developed a culture where people feel every time something happens, you throw the word at it. And we're so busy running around throwing the word at everything. The challenge with it is we don't stop for a minute to sit and say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to do here? We, we miss opportunities all the time. But we think we're so spiritual because I'm just part of the name it, claim it. I'm throwing the word out there. Blah, 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 blah. He never said do it. Acts chapter 9 is such an interesting story. And this is the place that I believe we need to get to. And I'm going to end with this. Paul's on the road, has an encounter with Jesus. Off he goes. Holy Spirit meets with somebody called Ananias and says, I got a job for you. I'll tell you what. Listen to this. Listen. This is the intimacy of a relationship that he had. I want you to go to a street called Straight. And as you walk along there, you're going to come to the house of Judas. And as you go inside, you're going to meet somebody called Saul. When is the last time we got direction like that from the Holy Spirit? Oh, there's a boy called, there's a guy called Saul somewhere in town. Let's just have a, a prayer meeting for him or whatever. We don't stop for a minute. Our first point, what I'm encouraging you to do is this. Our first point of call should be, Holy Spirit, here I am, the beginning of the day. Talk to me. What is it that you want today? He'll tell you some stuff. He'll show you some things. One thing that's amazing for me is that I, I, I'm listening to the life of people like Catherine Kuhlman. You know what? What he did in her life is incredible. But he's not a respecter of persons. What he did with A.A. Allen, he'll do with you. He's not a respecter of persons. The thing about it is, all of them speak about the fact that they had such close relationship with him that when they came into a meeting, I'd already seen Babette. Sometimes by name, and sometimes it was like there's going to be someone on the front row, and this is what they're sitting, and this is what they're wearing. And they walked in. Why? Because I developed intimacy with the Holy Spirit. I understood partnership. You give direction. I'm your hands and feet. And as a, response of the, as, a, as a result of that, he will be responsible and he will honor what he's asked you to do. And things will happen. My encouragement to you, apart from anything else I've said, if you go away with one thing, Please listen to me. Just let this be the thing. Go to the Holy Spirit first. 
Start to cultivate koinonia with the Holy Spirit. Communion with the Holy Spirit. Getting into that place where we allow him to speak into us and we, give him, we allow him to give us direction before we ever go anywhere. When you should pray for somebody, you know what? Yes, you can pray. When Yes, you can put the word in. I, I'm, not, I'm not disparaging any of that stuff. But what I am saying is this. Nothing is as powerful as when you get direction from him. Nothing is as powerful as when he says, I want you to do this. If he tells you to do it, I promise you it's going to happen. You want to know where your confidence comes from? The living word. He's on the inside of you. What he wants to do is this. Get in the car. And when you get in the car, he's in the driver's seat. And he's going to say to you, turn left. And he's going to say, go down this road. And he's going to say, turn on the radio. And he'll say, not that station. I hate that music. He's going to tell us what to do. We need the word because the word begins to define for us a landscape as to what it is that he wants to do. We're able to have a look at it and we can sit and see, I know what God's design is for everything. And as a result of knowing his design, I know what my purpose is. That's incongruent with what it should be. I'm here to change that. I go to the Holy Spirit and I say, Holy Spirit, talk to me a little bit about this. I'm feeling unhappy about that situation. Change needs to come. What do I do? And I wait on him. When we begin to live out of partnership, things change. I'll tell you where I think the church is going. The church is going back to partnership. The church is going back to partnership. It's going back to the authenticity of sitting, recognizing everything that Jesus has done for us is divine equity that's available. We celebrate that. We never take away from that. It is the most wonderful, wonderful thing. We celebrate it for no, if for no other reason, but it introduces us to the love of God and relationship with God. The love of God is foundational to everything that we have. Everything that he does for us, everything, the, just the way that he enjoys who you are is because he loves you. It's foundation to everything. But if I want to walk in the supernatural, if I want the power to make everything that he's invited me into happen, I've got to get into partnership with the Holy Spirit. Communion with the Holy Spirit. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you. Amen. Amen.